This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Welcome into another episode of Cyberly. I'm your host, Blythe Burley. Even on this show, we talk about B2B marketing, the attention economy, and how it all fits into the world of logistics. And we got a jam-packed show for you today. Lots of really good topics. Um, not that we would pick any bad topics ever, but let's talk about the roadmap for today's show. And we're going to be talking about why the smartest companies are prioritizing MOPS, aka marketing operations. We're going to talk to Weather Optics founder and CEO, Scott Pecorello, and he's talking about you know, what else but the weather, but how to use weather data in order for to plan your loads better, plan your routes better. And then we're going to be talking to Carrier Source CEO, Rob Light, and he's telling us how to get positive reviews between carriers and brokers. And then finally, we're going to end the show with the Facebook Meta CEO, Mark Zuckerberg's appearance on the Joe Rogan podcast on what it means for the future of, or really what how Mark Zuckerberg, one of the most powerful people in the world, thinks about the future, especially when it comes to real world versus virtual world. So a lot to get to. So let's go ahead and dive into our first topic. And that's why the smartest freight companies are prioritizing marketing operations. So if you like if you like revenue, which I'm sure that a lot of people are listening to this listening to this episode, they like revenue, then you need to be prioritizing marketing operations. But what is marketing operations and how and and why do companies invest in it too late? So let's first just cover what marketing operations really is. And mar- MOPS, I'm, that's the acronym that I'm going to be referring to and using during this segment is really the first hire or the first consultant that you should be making when you want to build out your marketing program and how you're going to be approaching businesses with the value add that your company provides. So MOPS at its core is helping the company scale efficiently using data, people, and processes. Now, the skills that a great marketing operations person has is kind of a jack of all trades. They can see from the eagle eye view of what makes for a successful organization from a marketing perspective that drives revenue so they can continue to communicate that value by looking at the data and the people and the processes. And being able to look at the landscape of the business and the industry itself and what's driving that revenue and how marketing plays a role in that entire environment. And the reason that this is so important is because in the freight broker and carrier world, I'm on Reddit every single day, multiple times per day. I'm on different message boards and I follow all of these different groups. And the number one complaint that I have seen in recent weeks is that everything is slowing down. Loads are slowing down. It's getting increasingly difficult to get tough to cover loads covered. And it's a challenge for these brokers who are out here. You're trying to make the cold calls. You're trying to do the cold emails. You're trying to do all of the right things. And you're hitting up, you're hitting up against a brick wall. So things are slowing down when typically things are 
pretty, you know, they're going pretty hot right about now. And so with all of these things slowing down, it's a great opportunity to look at the things that you're missing in your marketing and sales stack, especially when it comes to what you're offering in the digital space, social media, email, your website, all of these different functionalities and how they tie into your overall goals. And so prioritizing what is working right now and what those processes look like can really help you grow in the future. And also, I mean, if things are slowing down, this is the perfect opportunity to refine those different processes and refine those different approaches. Because over the last couple of years, you've likely, if you've been in this industry for a while, then you know that it's just been kind of crazy this entire time. This is the first time it's kind of slowing down for you, then that's a chance to take a sort of a deep breath and realize what's been working for you in the past couple of years and how you're going to retool and readjust those processes moving forward. And so I think a lot of you were probably saying like, sure, this all sounds nice, but how do I actually put this into practice? And so let's talk about it. If you're any kind of leadership or marketing role within the company, you need to go through this exercise. And the first exercise is to analyze those processes. If you can do the processes yourself first, what happens when a new broker is hired? How do they get their leads? Where are they going to look for those leads? How are they reaching out to them? Are they calling them? Are they emailing? Are they doing a combination of the two? What does that process look like? Do you have any sort of rigid standards that you want to follow when it comes to that? Or do you kind of just let them kind of do their own thing and prospect on their own? So analyze your processes and ideally do them yourself first. Because if you do them yourself first, then that's the opportunity opportunity for you to see what can be outsourced, what can be automated, and what technology fits into where and how it actually drives business revenue. You don't want to be the person that's out here buying the fancy new marketing software if it's not going to have an impact on the bottom line. So analyze those processes first, and then you can realize the inefficiencies within that process so that in the future, when things get busier again, because they will, this this is all ebbs and flows in this industry. And so when you get busy again, you're going to have processes that are scalable and that you can, and they're also repeatable. So keeping that in mind. Now, the next step you want to do is to figure out your most profitable types of customers, commodities, and lanes, and build out your value props for them. Write them down. And then once you write them down, you're listing the type, you're listing your advantages. Um, You're going to note the technology that you use in order to solve those problems or for those value types or towards those advantages that your company provides. List the technology that you have. List the insurance that you have. That is a safety net for a lot of companies out there to know that you have the insurance to cover those different uh, situations as they will pop up because they will. And so once you map out those few things, then you can list out the specific experience that your customer or you have with that particular type of shipment. And then the next step you want to take is once you map out those you map out your processes, then you map out your value props, then the next step you want to take is to work with the marketing department or work with whoever is in charge of your marketing. Your So whoever's building email campaigns, whoever is updating the website text, think of those people next and work with them directly because then that's where you can almost treat your website as a sales brochure that your sales team can then use to go out there and sell. And when somebody reads an email and they open it and you can't tell because you know Apple has blocked the data tracking on whether that email was opened or not, then you can go in and you can make sure that that 
text that is in that email is also similar to the text that is on your website. Because then if they're clicking through, if they're checking out your website, they're making sure they're doing their own due diligence before they ever want to pick up the phone call or pick up a cold call or answer a cold email or schedule a meeting. They want to know that you're not going to waste their time. So having that consistent messaging throughout all of your campaigns and your outreach is really going to go a long way. Now, another important step that you want to take is you want to understand where your potential clients are coming from and how they want to be approached. And I I really like this example that I saw a few days ago from the CTO of Scentbird. Let's go ahead and put that up on the screen. I'm not going to go through all of the the bad and the ugly, but he lists the good, the bad, and the ugly. And for the good, he mentions that to have a successful connection with him, and if you are reaching out cold to him, this is what has been successful on his side of things or that he's seen from these cold approaches. And he says, start with email that explains clearly what do you offer. Then provide case studies from similar clients with clear problem definition and clear solution. Ask about my availability to have a demo call for 30 minutes or even better, send a video my way. Remember, time is of the utmost importance to a lot of these people. They don't want to get on a phone call if you're just going to be wasting their time. So make sure that you can have all of these different content structures in place, whether it's on your website, whether it's in video production, any of those things that you can send out to these people proactively as you are prospecting and as you are scouting. And then finally, the last one that he admits is that, or the the last one that he suggests is do your homework and come prepared to the call knowing about my company's business. Don't waste their time. That's the biggest hint, the biggest takeaway of what you can gather from his post. And all of these things can be established. So you're, you're identifying your process is you're likely doing them yourself. And then you're going through your own value props and you're making sure that that communication is consistent throughout all of your different campaigns. And then that way you're using the insight from other potential customers, other potential shippers that you might work with in the future, you're using that consistency on a regular basis in your social media, whether you're posting from the company page or your own personal page. It's consistent messaging throughout. So then that way, when somebody arrives on your website or sees that cold email when it's not necessarily cold anymore, you might have been warming them up for a few months, but they see that email come through from you. It's highly personalized, specific to them. You have a link in your email signature to book a meeting with you. And it makes it much more likely that that person is going to be willing to get on a call with you in the first place. So all of these things can be established during this sort of slowdown period that you're experiencing. And that's how marketing operations ties into all of it. Because the marketing operations person or somebody who has a marketing operations mindset can really look at everything from an eagle eye view and be able to zoom in on what's really driving revenue. And so keep that in mind as you're building out your campaigns, as you're building out you know, your different messaging on maybe on email marketing platforms, your CRM, or even within your website, make sure you have that consistent messaging. And then make sure it's actually geared towards the way that these people want to communicate with you. Because there's probably, if you put yourself in their shoes, there's probably a ton of people that are beating down their door, trying to get their business. And the way that you're going to stand out is by communicating specifically to them on a consistent basis. And making sure that that consistency is throughout your entire company and also throughout your digital messaging. And plus, you also won't be wasting a lot of time with this marketing software. I mean, we talked on last week's show how there are 8,000 
8,000, more than 8,000 marketing tools out there. And if you think that you can just purchase one of these and it's going to be like a magic wand and it's going to solve all of your problems, it's not going to solve any problems until you actually figure out what your processes look like and how technology fits into those processes and ultimately drives revenue. So that is the importance of marketing operations. And I hope to uh, preach that for the mountaintops for a very long time because it really is something that sets you up as a key differentiator from the rest of your competition. All right. Well, that about does it for that first segment. And it looks like we have our guests ready to go. So let's go ahead and bring in the first one. And that is Weather Optics founder and CEO, Scott Pecorello. Scott, welcome into the show. Hey, thanks so much for having me. Absolutely. So so for folks who may not be familiar with you, may not be familiar with, with weather optics, give us a little background on, on who you are and what you do. Yeah, absolutely. So we're a weather intelligence company. Uh, we work specifically in supply chain. So um, what's unique about us is that we don't give regular weather forecasts. So we don't say it's going to rain or going to snow. We translate weather data into terms and insights that are super easy for uh, supply chain logistics companies to, to really understand. What's the what, what's the difference between I guess weather forecasting and then translating it for the audience or for the your your great users? question yeah so it's like a couple step process right the first is the the weather data so we take a ton of weather data and then we actually marry it with supply chain data so telematics data business impact data geospatial data and what we get from that is these translated insights uh, these risk scores that we produce so we'll tell you how dangerous the road conditions are or how delayed a shipment might be, uh, or the chances of power outages. So it's really about taking that raw weather data and making it into something that's tangible that you know anyone can use and, and use really easily. What I guess is, what's your background? How did you how did you found that this this company? Was uh, weather in your background? Was it a career choice for you? Why why weather optics? Yeah, absolutely. I, I was uh, I am a, a huge weather nerd my entire life. So that was always my thing. I was fascinated by the weather. Uh, and I love startups too. And so, actually, during college, I, I started Weather Optics, um, and you know, it's it's exactly what I wanted to do. And we saw this need in the industry where a lot of people were impacted by weather, but didn't understand how they were impacted and didn't know what to do with that kind of raw weather data. So um, that was really the basis for for starting the company. And so, when you talk about that raw weather data, like how does I guess weather data fit into, say, maybe a broker's daily role or a carrier's daily role? Are they are they checking weather optics first, and then you know they're planning out their route? Like, how does it fit into their day? Yeah, it's a great question. So, um, you know, ETAs is a big part of of what we do. Um, so, weather obviously impacts uh, the ability for a truck to get from point A to point B. Um, and so a, a broker or, uh, you know, a route planner or anyone in the industry who's trying to get a sense of how delayed their shipments might be um, can come to Weather Optics and, and get a weather-adjusted ETA. So we'll tell you how delayed a shipment might be from normal due to the weather. Um, we also help with pricing, right? So um, weather is affected by supply, uh, supply and demand. Um, and so you can use Weather Optics and the risk scores to get a sense of if you should be moving price points um, based off of upcoming, upcoming weather conditions. And so with those weather conditions, I mean, I, I, I'm from Florida, so I hardly ever trust the actual weather report because I, I know that it could be raining for 20 minutes on my side of town and it can be perfectly sunny or it really could be raining in the front yard and then sunny in the backyard. How do you, I guess, uh, accommodate those different weather patterns all throughout the United States? Yeah, it's a challenge, right? And, and weather data is only so good. It's gotten a lot better over the last you know decade. but um, we take a number of weather computer forecasting models, 
um, and we we kind of blend them and we adjust them and, and optimize them for accuracy. So um, those kind of small scale events that you're talking about, um, those are challenging. Uh, and we have a way of taking some of these, they're called mesoscale weather computer forecasting models uh, and learning the biases of them, right? And then correcting to make sure that if we said it's going to rain somewhere it doesn't rain, um, you know, we don't make that mistake again in the future. So a lot goes into the kind of R&D and the initial weather engine that, that we produce that runs all of our, all of our insights. You mentioned small scale weather trans or weather interactions. I guess is maybe the right right phrase for it. Are there large scale? Yeah, yeah. What what kind of weather events are you looking for? Yeah, um, I would say we're mostly used for these larger scale events. So you can think of larger scale as like a major hurricane or a snow event um, or some kind of wind event. And then the meso scale events are more of like those pop up showers that you get in Florida that you were talking about, or a line of thunderstorms. So those are a lot harder to predict, and, and we've gotten a lot better at them. Um, but the larger scale events tend to be what's more impactful to supply chain. So, you know, imagine a hurricane, right, coming through Florida and all the, the impacts that that has on warehouse facilities uh, and supply chain managers and logistics in general, right? So um, that tends to be where our data is most useful. And so when you're getting this data and then it's getting sent to the end user, what what kind of actionable, is it actionable next steps? Are you helping them, you know, maybe go to another route? How does it work once you get that data and you send that alert out? What, what does that next step look like for both weather optics and the, and the person on the receiving end? Yeah, a lot of what we do is, is we're giving these companies the tools to make those decisions, right? So mm-hmm. we'll tell you that there's going to be high road danger between, you know, these two points along a route. Um, or 20% of customers are going to lose power. And we're now working on taking the next step, which is you know intelligent recommendations. So saying that actually this alternative routing option is better and you'll have a quicker travel time um, or that you should shut down these operations at this time at this location. So it really started off by just giving them the tools to make decisions. And now we're starting to get into the, the area where we're more comfortable of, of actually recommending actions you could take, which is really exciting and something that you know, other weather providers uh, aren't really able to do right now. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. And so when you are, what does the weather optics team look like? Are you guys all like meteorologists? Are you data scientists? Is it kind of a combination of the two? Yeah, a combo of the two. We're very uh, data meteorology heavy, uh, if that makes sense. So um, that's really the background of of most of the company. and, And we're really working on just building these super innovative, intelligent products. Um, and so that's why the company is kind of shaped that way, right? With a lot of these engineers and, and data scientists who are um, working to make these these products possible. And then uh, another interview that I, I heard you on, you said you use route-based insights um, and that weather data is very accurate 48 hours out. So if I'm, if I'm route planning, how should I, if I'm using your service, how should I, I guess, maybe map out my day? If I'm trying to route plan for three days out, should I maybe try doing that two days out or the day of just to be safe to avoid weather delays? Yeah, that's a great question. I, I think the the optimal time to do a lot of that planning with our weather insights is within that three-day window. Um, we have insights out to seven days, but as you can imagine, the five, six, seven-day forecast sometimes changes from time to time. 
Um, so using our data for route planning within you know three or so days uh, is really the optimal kind of time frame to use it. And at that point, you'll be able to get an understanding of, hey, this route here is going to be delayed by this much. Um, and these are the actions that I should take because of that. Now, I, another part of that interview that I heard you mention is that one of your your top customers is like a, a meal delivery uh, platform. Are those the types of customers that you you find real success with as far as like using weather optics, or is it you know is there another commodity or another type of shipment that that works the best for for weather optics? Yeah, shippers are definitely you know on the top of the list, right? So anyone who's mm-hmm. delivering food or a crucial product across the country or across the world. Um, they get a lot of value out of understanding when delays are going to happen. A new area of focus for us has been uh, in the carrier and, and, and asset space as well. So you can think of massive trucking companies, right, who have uh, thousands of shipments that they're that they're delivering every day. Um, that's also a really good customer for us because they can get a sense of which of my sh- shipments are going to be delayed and how am I going to have to change uh, the routes for for some of my drivers. Um, so that's I would say a newer focus of ours, and, and we're having a lot of success. Uh, in that area as well. What about you guys as as far as like the the company in general? So you're you're providing all of this different data right now. W- what do those next steps look like? Can you get better data? Can you add more, I guess, insights into your 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 data stream? What does I guess maybe the next few years look like for weather optics? Yeah, we want to be really good in in supply chain logistics, right? And, and we've made a lot of strides mm-hmm. to get there, but our route-based products can have so many more additions to them and really cover all of the risks that weather can present. So, for example, that that route-based product that's called Right Route, um, the main component of that is this weather ETA, how delayed our shipment's going to be. But we also have things like a, a tipping index. So is there a chance that my truck's going to roll over um, or a temperature oh, wow. threshold index? So, um, you know, is there going to be some kind of extreme heat um, that's going to change the mode of transportation that I'm using. So we can get really detailed uh, in the analysis that we that we give, and and that's I think an exciting you know short medium term step for us. And then beyond that, we want to expand you know outside of supply chain as well. There's a lot of industries, as you can imagine, that would benefit from these kind of insights. And so I think when you look two, three, four years down the line, um, we want to be in all of those places as well. And so with your 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 planning and your business structure, are, are you guys only based in the U.S. or are you providing these weather reports all over the globe? Yeah, we recently ha- um, have, have produced and, and delivered global data, which is super exciting. So um, primarily our customers are North America and Europe, um, but we now have global data available. So that obviously expands the opportunities and, and even some of our U.S.-based companies, right? They have operations everywhere. So um, that was a huge, important step for us. And uh, a very challenging step to make sure that our data was going to be as accurate and as good, not only in the U.S., but but around the world as well. And, and you've mentioned data a bunch because this, uh, naturally that that's where, you know, the I guess the the bulk of your business comes from. But where does that data come from? Is there like, you know, how people say like big pharma or, you know, uh, I don't know, big eggs, whatever. Um, but with the weather in particular, yeah, yeah. is there like one company that controls all of the weather data or there may be a handful of companies or is it like a bunch of satellites that you can tap into? Give us a sense on where the data is actually coming from. Yeah, there are these supercomputer models that are located kind of all over the world. And there's, you may have heard, there's an American one, there's a European one, um, there's other global ones. And so um, a lot of those are, are free resources for us to tap into. And a lot of other weather companies do this as well. So um, we tap into a lot of that computer modeling, um, and then we have other different sources that we pull from as well. So we go beyond just the weather data. So that, that's kind of the basis. And then we, like I mentioned before, we pull in geospatial data. So what's the elevation in this area? How far is this area from a river? 
Um, you know, how susceptible is this area to snow? Um, so all of those different data points come in, um, and we're using all of those to kind of create our, our products, if that makes sense. Oh, that's super cool. I didn't know that there was like different, you know, data stations set up all over the globe. I imagine, you know, satellites play a role in that. What about from the local level too? I, you know, there's one person that I follow that they really prioritize getting the dash cams of of the weather conditions from drivers on the road. Is that in the works for you guys? Or is that more of just, you know, hey, here's a first person view of of what the weather looks like where I'm at? Yeah, totally. I mean, we want to get better at, at, you know, the, the data that we pull in. And so having that kind of, you know, dashboard cam, uh, data and, and other sources from telematics. We already have, you know, a couple partners in the space that we're collecting data from actual vehicles um, on. But getting better at that and the hyper-localized data is super important. Um, there's a lot of people that care about the real time, you know, what's happening outside right now and how is my vehicle being impacted? Um, and particularly the, in the autonomous space, right? So um, these driverless trucks, um, that kind of data is is super, super important to them. Oh, that's super interesting. I didn't even think about it from the autonomous angle that they're, you know, they're pretty much data companies in and of themselves. So using more data to help route better route plan and, you know, prepare for these, you know, crazy conditions that might arise exactly. seems like, a, you know, a good problem to be on top of. All right, Scott, what, what else should we know? Uh, places where we can follow you and your work, all that good stuff. Yeah, absolutely. If, if, if you're interested in, in learning more about the data that we provide, follow us on LinkedIn or reach out to us directly, uh, weatheroptics.co. Um, and yeah, thank you so much for for having me on. Awesome, super fascinating conversation. Good luck and 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 keep us updated with with how the I guess the weather world is holding up because you guys are it feels like you guys are doing a good job. Appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. Awesome. Thank you, Scott. Have a good one. Bye. Cool. Well, that's. I mean, I, I didn't even realize that all of that kind of went. I mean, obviously, weather goes into route planning, but I didn't know the fact that they have different data centers all over the world and being able to pull from that data to help you make a better driving, I guess, or a route planning decision. Um, I kind of wish that this was available for for regular drivers as well. So maybe that'll be something that actually is already available through Weather Optics. I'll have to do some research um, after the show. But let's go ahead and bring in our next guest. It's uh, founder and CEO of Carrier Source, Rob Light. And we had first chatted, I went and looked up the numbers. We first chatted back in December of 2020. I think it was my second ever logistics focused podcast. So thank you for having faith in me because a couple months later, hey, you know, here we are with the Cyberly Show. So welcome back in, Rob. Thank you. Yeah, it's great to talk to you again. Yeah, Carrier Source was very green at that point as well. I think we pushed live the week of, Thanksgiving. So the end of November 2020 as well. So uh, it was early on for both of us. And I, I think, uh, you know, we're both headed in the right direction. So it's exciting to be back. Heck yeah. Let, I have an image that I pulled from a screenshot from the video. Look how far <laughs> we both come with our setup. <laughs> that is uh, night and day difference. I mean, using the my I'm using the microphone wrong. The lighting makes me look like a, a smurf. Um, but we are we we've made baby steps to improvement. So let's let's talk about that improvement with with carrier source for folks who who may not have watched that episode, which I, you know, they might not have. They probably didn't because I was still so, you know, just a baby baby podcaster. Um, but tell us a little bit about Carrier Source. Tell us about yourself, how you got involved in the world of freight ratings. Yeah, I haven't gone back and listened to that either. And I think maybe we, we put that one aside for, for hide it. <laughs> many years down the road or maybe never again. But um, uh, yeah, so Carrier Source, we collect reviews of freight carriers from shippers and brokers. And um, the reason we, that we do this is so that 
carriers can can better build a reputation. Um, right now, what exists for them are largely negative reviews. There's plenty of mechanisms to receive reports or, um, you know, there's the TIA watchdog reports, um, Google reviews, which, which no one really trusts. So there's not really a good source of of review data on carriers right now. And, and because of that, it, it kind of hinders their business a little bit. If, if you can't collect positive feedback, it, it's hard to leverage that voice of the customer. And so um, that's the gap we're really hoping to fill with, with carrier source here. Um, you know, I, I, I worked at a company called G2.com for a long time. Uh, we collected reviews of software products. And, and the reason that we thought to bring this over to the logistics space was talking actually with a broker. And, uh, you know, he mentioned that it, if he had reviews of, of freight carriers, his life would be a whole lot easier. And, and that really stuck with us for a long time. But I think the, the key driver for building carrier source as it sits today is this idea that the carriers don't really have an opportunity to gain positive recognition, to share with the world who they are, um, or really market themselves for that matter in, in an easy way. So um, that's what we're hoping to, to fill there. Now, with Carrier Source, I mean, obviously the the name is in you know the, the the business name itself, but is it only reviews for carriers, or can brokers get reviewed? Um, how does the whole tell us about the how the process works? Yeah, as it stands today, right now we only collect reviews on carriers, but we do have on the roadmap to add profiles for for brokerages in the same way, and and we think it's only fair that if if brokers are going to be reviewing carriers, that carriers should be then allowed to to review brokers. And that's useful to them as well. They want to know who the best brokerages are to work with. Um, same goes for shippers too, right? So they want to know the, the right brokers to hire and, and who to go with. So we do think there's a big opportunity on the you know, review collection side to, to start gathering data on brokerages as well. Um, but as it stands today, it's, it's just carriers. What, what does, I mean, I know that you mentioned, you know, like Google reviews and, and things like that, which are typically pretty negative and like a nightmare for the marketing person to have to try to handle. So what does, I guess, sort of the recommendation funnel look like for a lot of these different companies? Is, is it just because you have to go to Facebook, you have to go to Google, you have to um, maybe go to TIA in order to check all of these different sites for a review, but... Is that where the, I guess, the, what the problem you're trying to solve is that it's too fractured and it's too negative and Carrier Source is the platform where you can get legitimate human-reviewed reviews? Yeah, I think so. You know, we take a, a lot of pride in our data quality first and foremost, right? So Google reviews can sometimes read a little sketchy. You're not really sure who's writing that review, right? Um, our moderation process is pretty thorough. We have a, a human being read every review that comes through to ensure that one, the review is useful to a potential broker or shipper who's looking to hire that carrier. If, if you just write, you know, this carrier was bad, nothing good, like that's, that's not a useful review, right? So we want to make sure that it's uh, beneficial to a user. Um, and then, um, you know, we do a little background research on the reviewer as well to make sure that they're actually working for a brokerage and that um, it's feasible that they would have booked this, this carrier. And so with that, we, we really feel that it can become a place where carriers can drive their their brokers that they're close with, that they work with often, that they know they provide a great service for to their page. It's free to come in and write a review. Um, and we hope that it can really kind of be that that source of, of carrier data at the end of the day from, um, you know, not just the likes and dislikes either, but what type of equipment they have, what type of shipments are they running? 
regions or lanes that they're servicing. Uh, we collect all that within the reviews as well. So, I, I, and and we allow carriers to update their pages with that same information. So, I think it can be a, a little bit bigger than than the review side, but that's definitely the driver behind uh, engagement. And so, I guess, how does the the process look like? Because when you're when you have a negative experience with a company, you are highly motivated to let everybody else know that about that negative experience. But a positive experience. You kind of just like to enjoy the moment and you don't necessarily take that next step to leave a positive review somewhere online. How are you encouraging, I guess, a balance of the two that you can have a place where people can share positive and negative reviews? Yeah, so we do a lot of outreach on our own and and we do try to message some of it about, like, hey, you got a favorite carrier that you work with often, feel free to write, you know, please leave a review for them or provide your feedback on this company. We do incentivize for reviews. So we will give away you know, a $5 Starbucks gift card or $10 to Amazon to incentivize the broker to take a few minutes and, and provide that honest feedback, right? Um, but with that, you know, if you're really, if you've had a, a passionate experience one way or another, whether it was a really great experience or a really bad experience, that's when you're going to kind of come out of the woodwork and, and write a review one way or another. Um, I know in the the world of logistics, it's, it's not as common, right? If, if you bought something on Amazon and it, you know, you bought a candle and it changed the way your, your house smelled and you love it so much, you're going to be compelled to write that review. Um, in logistics, it might be a little different, but we do think we can kind of overcome some of those barriers of, of keeping a lot of that feedback individualized and close to an individual carrier rep and actually encourage them to share that with the world because it does make a really big difference for these carriers. And if you're working really closely with a carrier, you, you want to continue working with them. You want to continue to build that relationship. A review is a really good way to do that. And, and it's kind of a, um, a sign of, of the working relationship between both sides. And so uh, with that said, because with a lot of brokers, I can imagine that they would not want the world to know about their good carriers. And so it, it kind of, it sounds like you're incentivizing on the carrier side of things to have, you know, solidify that business relationship with your carrier partner by leaving a positive review. Is that the angle for the, the brokers in order to make them less protective about their their carrier partners? Yeah, that has been one of the one of the messages that we've tried to send to, to brokers. And I think it, it has largely worked and it, it, it is a reason why a carrier rep might leave that review. But at the same time, a lot of the information that we are collecting in these reviews, anybody could find out if they, they called up the carrier, right? Especially when it comes to equipment type or shipment types or where they're running their preferred lanes, right? It, it just is a matter of of a rep picking up the phone and giving them a call. So we do hope to unlock that data a little bit as well, right? It, it's it's considered proprietary in the logistics space, but it shouldn't. It's it's not even the the broker's data, right? It's the information on the carrier itself. And so to be able to open that up a little bit, we think can really benefit the industry as a whole. And so um, there is a little bit of uh, of of messaging where you know, hey, you're leaving reviews. Everybody else is leaving reviews. It's benefiting the entire industry. There's there's a little more. Um, it's not altruistic, but it's um, it's kind of a bigger a bigger purpose behind leaving those reviews. So we've talked a lot about the why behind, you know, carry, you know, reviews and how important they are. But let's talk about, you know, sort of how that process works. Is a carrier reaching out to you? Are they setting up a profile? What does that, what does that process look like? 
Yeah, so we have a profile for every freight carrier out there. Anybody who's federally registered, we have created a profile for. It's free to come in and claim your profile page. So you can sign up and do a little bit of marketing to start, right? So you can, as the carrier, input, like I mentioned, equipment type, shipment type, any specialized services you provide, the regions or states or lanes that you're running. Um, And then you can also write a description of your, your business. And it's a great way to promote the services that you provide, explain why you're a great carrier and and encourage brokers and shippers to give you a call. Um, You know, you you were talking about kind of marketing operations at the beginning, and it it struck me that um, it's really hard to build a brand. A lot goes into it, right? And small fleets, owner operators, don't have a lot of bandwidth to take the time to try to build that brand. And so these profiles can act almost like they would for you know, if, if you were to build your own website, right, you, you can put all that same information on these pages. Um, and it's a, a great way to, to build reputation and, and drive brand through the, the right audience that you're, you're looking to drive. So if I'm a carrier, I, I claim my profile, I, I add in all the specifics of my business. And then what happens after that? Am I proactively reaching out to my brokers that I've already worked with? Am I sort of doing a cold outreach? Like what does, how does carrier source, I guess, fit into a typical carrier's day? Or is it something that you check maybe once a week or when you get notified of a new review? What does it, how does it fit into their day? Yeah, we, it's a bit of more of a passive play than maybe updating a load board every day with where you are or, or keeping some of that information up to date, right? So once you get your profile set, um, it's a matter of driving reviews. And so for our, our upgraded premium carriers, we do help drive reviews. So if, if you wanted to send us all the brokers that you work with um, that you want reviews from, we'll reach out on your behalf so that you don't have to take the time to do that, right? Um, and we'll, we'll give away a $5 Starbucks gift card for those reviews. Again, just to continue to encourage them to take a couple minutes and do that review. Uh, at the same time, um, it's totally free to drive reviews on your own. So if you have a list of, of brokers that you like to work with, you can send them a link to your page and ask them to write a review, right? Um, you know, we, we've worked closely with a couple of carriers who... Uh, We'll provide email copy for. So after every load that you fill that, you know, you feel you did a, an awesome job and deserve some recognition for, you can send that email over to, to brokers and, and ask them for that review. Um, at the same time, we do have about 4,500 brokers and shippers signed up on Carrier Source who do use our, our tool to find capacity to write reviews, to read reviews. Um, and, and it acts as a prospecting tool for them when they're looking for, for carriers as well. So, um, we do get a, a good handful of organic reviews. We drive reviews ourselves. So um, constantly compiling those. Hmm, that's super interesting, especially from a prospecting perspective that you can use this. If you're having trouble you know, getting coverage for a load, then you know, this is an additional opportunity that you or additional site that you can check to find you know, or, or fill that opportunity. Now, you mentioned earlier about the human review aspect of all of the reviews and that every review that comes through, you have a real human you know, reviewing it. How do you, how does the real human, I guess, verify that the information is accurate? I, I think you had mentioned, you know, asking for screenshots and things like that. Yeah. So we do do a little bit of background research on the actual reviewer themselves. So they have to verify their email, of course, if they're leaving a review, right. And then we'll try to find them on LinkedIn and make sure that they actually work for the company they claim or, um, do a little background on their brokerage as a whole to ensure that, um, it's a legit company as well. 
Um, and then we do ask for a screenshot. You know, in our review form, we, we have the ability to upload a screenshot, whether that's a redacted rate confirmation as proof that you you worked with that that carrier or email correspondence or a screenshot of your TMS, whatever it might be, just something to um, ensure that, that it's actually a legit review. Yeah, because I think that that's the biggest problem with like, say, like Amazon, for example, is that you'll be looking at a product and then you check the reviews and all the reviews are about a completely different product. And it's like, what the hell is going on here? This is not accurate information. So it calls into question the entire review process. But they're also dealing with a lot of bots. I imagine you guys are actually handling it with the human review process. Now, when it's a negative review, does the carrier have a chance to you know, follow up or offer a public comment? Or is it something similar to like Google where you're just kind of screwed if you get a negative, negative review? Yeah, there is an opportunity to follow up and respond to a review. And, and um, I've talked about this for a long time, but a negative review is an amazing opportunity for a uh, any company, right? Because you can respond to it. You can show what type of customer support you have and what type of customer service you have. And and in an industry where the power dynamics are are um, heavy towards certain sides at certain times, right? It's a, it's a real opportunity to kind of take the high road in certain instances, right? Carriers fall off loads thousands of times every day. It's something that happens, right? But if you can take the time, and, and if a broker comes in and writes a negative review of you for that, you could come in and take the time and explain yourself and and acknowledge that, yeah, maybe it wasn't the best experience, but you would love to work with them again. Or, um, you know, taking the high road publicly like that is such a huge uh, customer support opportunity. And then if that's your one lone negative review and you have nine positive reviews, that's a great profile. That's a very trustworthy profile. I love that. So you're, you're actually like advising people to give how to respond to negative feedback. Is that a safe assumption? Yeah. Well, yeah we're, we're, we're always trying to help in that sense because, yeah, like it's I said, always it interesting. Really, yeah, it's well, a really cool say, It's interesting to see people fight back and forth on, on different, you know, review sites. And it's like, ooh, <laughs> they're a little heated here. So I wonder if that, if that maybe that back and forth could, has the potential to happen on your platform or you're kind of advising them like, look, you know, maybe keep the curse words to a minimum. <laughs> yeah, we only allow for one response. <clears throat> <laughs> so you can't uh, you can't have a forum going back and forth. We're not uh, that's not the setting that we want to host. But you can have that one response, and it's your opportunity to kind of shine through a potentially uh, negative review, right? That's smart. Yeah, don't don't try to argue with people online. Take the conversation offline. Leave your leave your good feedback, and then from there you can move on to um, hopefully a better working relationship with that person. <laughs> All right, Rob, yeah. where can folks follow follow Carrier Source, follow more of your work, um, get signed up, all that good stuff? Yeah, it's free to sign up on Carrier Source, whether you're a, a broker or a shipper and you want to prospect for carriers, or if you're a carrier and you want to claim your profile page, just go to carriersource.io. Um, you can follow us on LinkedIn for lots of updates as well. Um, we're excited about all the things that are yet to come. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Rob. It was awesome to catch up with you. We've both come a long way since December 2020. And I have a feeling that, you know, we're, we're, we're going we're gonna to keep moving in that positive direction. And you guys are providing a really good resource. And I, I think it's really interesting about the prospecting tool, too, for brokers out there. So keep us updated on all the good stuff you guys got going on. Awesome. Thanks, Blythe. Thank you.
All right. Super fun conversations. I don't know that I would ever end a conversation saying like, God, that was terrible of a conversation, but super interesting, super fascinating. You know, the real theme around this show is using the internet to our advantage and using a lot of that data that we get to our advantage because, you know, there's a lot of things coming at us at once and we have to be able to parse through that data and be able to make uh, sound decisions. And that includes reviews, that includes weather, that includes marketing operations. And now we're going to talk about the final topic for the show. And I I tend to like to end the show with a fun topic. I don't know that this one is fun as, as it is fascinating. And that is what Mark Zuckerberg or how Mark Zuckerberg thinks about the future. Now, for folks who may not be aware, Mark Zuckerberg is the founder and CEO of Facebook. They earlier, I think this year, maybe last year, I think it was actually last year, that they changed their company name, their main umbrella company name, to Meta. And so under that Meta umbrella is the Facebook platform, the Instagram platform, WhatsApp, and also Oculus. And so with his appearance on a very popular podcast, number one podcast in the world, Joe Rogan, um, he was on that platform last week. And he sat down for nearly three hours to talk about how he thinks about the future. Now, you're probably asking yourself, who cares? Why should I care that Mark Zuckerberg was on Joe Rogan? Well, Mark Zuckerberg is one of the most powerful people in the world. At the flip of a switch, he can control the flow of information. He can choose whether your post is seen on Facebook or whether it's removed, whether you have a right to post on his platform or whether you're going to be banned from his platform. 1.9 billion people are on Facebook. So he has the control and the flow of information for that many people, unelected and just the CEO of a multi-billion dollar organization. And he does not do interviews like this. I think the longest interview that we have probably ever seen is a 10-minute segment on maybe a news program. And to give you guys a a little bit of uh, insight into how, I guess, sort of modern news media works is that Somebody like Mark Zuckerberg is probably getting questions well in advance. He knows exactly what's going to be asked, and he answers in a 30 to maybe a minute long soundbite of an answer. These are practice. He's media trained. Um, He's used to doing those kinds of conversations. But on a podcast, especially one that's more of a casual environment, and for three hours, you cannot keep up that, uh, I guess, robotic uh, persona for very long. And that's, that's commonly the joke when you talk about Mark Zuckerberg is that he's very, very robotic. So on yesterday's Freight Waves Now, I mentioned, I actually linked to it in the show notes, but part of that conversation that Mark Zuckerberg was talking about is how he thinks about content moderation. So sort of a, if you didn't watch or if you didn't listen, you, there is a link in the show notes if you want to go check it out. But he essentially says that Facebook is a built as a community-first platform. Uh, he thinks that you should be able to post anything that isn't pornographic or incites violence or illegal activity. Um, but if you believe in something like the flat earth theory, then he thinks that you should be able to post about it. But he will say that with that caveat, that they do look for signals on whether or not to show that activity, your post activity to a greater audience. And part of the way that they they look at those different content moderation mechanisms is the angry emoji. If too many angry emojis are on a post, then that gives a signal to Facebook on whether or not that that particular post should be shown to more and more people or it shouldn't be. So 
you're still getting allowed to post about this information, which is quite different than how, say, a Twitter treats it, where Twitter can outright just ban you from their platform. They can prevent you from posting certain links. Um, so that is a, a drastic difference in how Facebook and Twitter both handle content moderation. So that was on Crit Was Now yesterday. The other part of what I want to actually talk about in today's segment is what he thinks about another product that he has been working on because it gives us insight as to how this powerful person really thinks about not only the flow of information, but how we're interacting in both the virtual world and the real world. Enter in the Oculus. Now, the Oculus is a VR headset that you strap to your head. You have a couple handles that you use. It's almost like if you've ever seen, you know, a, a Wii unit, you know, from made by Nintendo, then you know that they have, you know, the little controllers that you can hold in your hand. Um, so the latest version is the Oculus Quest 2 with the rumors of the Oculus Quest 3 dropping late next year. And hardware for Meta is very important because... Mark Zuckerberg learned the hard way that his revenue stream of making money off of all these different ads was really coming through because of Facebook. And so you're getting all this ad revenue, but you don't control the hardware. You don't, they tried to make a phone. It didn't quite work out. Um, but Apple decided last year that they're going to cut off that access to all of the valuable data that Facebook needed in order to serve up optimal ads that makes the company money, that makes advertisers look really good, that sells a lot of products, is revenue driving. And so keeping that in mind, Apple shut that off and Facebook is now in deep trouble. They had their first quarterly losses ever in the company history just this last quarter. And so Zuckerberg knows that the importance of hardware, and that was the big reason why they went and purchased the Oculus platform itself and the hardware itself back in 2014. So because of that, he knows that he has to have some kind of hardware component for what the next future of Meta looks like. And from the show, Mark said himself, half of our time is still spent watching TV. I'm trying to figure out how to make that screen time plus how we spend time on our phones as impactful as it can be. And the reason that Oculus is really important here is because from the, he also mentions the importance of what's called spatial memories. And spatial memories is something that has really lacked over the last couple of years with everybody meeting through Zoom. He mentioned Zoom a few times during this conversation and how he sort of feels just worn out after having Zoom meetings all day. And don't we all? And that's hinted as to why we feel that fatigue is because we're looking at a screen. In this case, I'm looking at a camera. If we were having a conversation with folks sitting around the table, then folks sitting around the table, you would be creating what's called a spatial memory. You would have a person sitting to your left, sitting to your right, and hearing the audio come from both of those different directions. So keeping that in mind, that's how we create these different spatial memories. And it's also, if you want to do a little bit of a you know a deep dive or, or jump down a rabbit hole, go look on YouTube on how people are trying to hack their memory and improve their memory by increasing their spatial memories. And so be, training your brain to look for spatial memories actually helps you increase your overall memory, which is sort of a, a really fascinating thing. But that is what Mark is explaining, that he wants the Oculus to be able to be the replacement to a typical Zoom meeting. He wants it to be a situation where you are 
having creating those spatial memories and creating a more fluid sort of meeting environment, even if people are working all over the world. And so he has a plan to create those special me- those spatial memories with the Oculus on the hardware side of things. And so the quote from Zuckerberg during that interview, he said, instead of looking at a phone all day, the neural interface could be a pair of glasses where you can create those spatial memories of hearing someone on one side of you talking, turning to look at them and creating a more human experience. And he sees a world where the bulky headset of an Oculus can be as small as a pair of glasses, where he almost sees it working in in two different ways, where you have the, the hardware that's getting more advanced, you have the software that's getting more advanced, and then you have different components of how that hardware can operate, whether it's a small headset or a small pair of glasses, but you could still be able to sit at a meeting table filled with people who are physically located anywhere, but the magic of being in person and creating those spatial memories can still be achieved through real video or avatars. So speaking of which, I thought it was also really funny on a couple of the real world examples that were also shared during this conversation. And one of them is creating those spatial memories. And one of them was uh, Virtual Red Band, who hosts a virtual comedy round table in a diner. Um, he paid an artist to create an avatar for him, which is, you know, sort of a, not really mocked, but it's another form of revenue stream that's in the metaverse is creating um, these different environments where people can just show up and hang out in a virtual world. Now, Virtual Red Band, he does these these comedy diner tours, but he also has trackers set up in one room of his house. So he can kind of, you know, have a real world experience, but with people from all over the world. Another example that that Mark Zuckerberg brought up was he was talking about a woman who was grieving the death of her son and wanted to do stand-up comedy. So she had a goal of doing stand-up comedy, but she had also suffered through this terrible life tragedy and she was she was really struggling grieving wise so she was too anxious to try out stand up comedy in real life so she tried anonymously using the oculus in the metaverse and it has since helped her grieve the loss of her son to where she can be a quote unquote pretend person in the metaverse or in mark zuckerberg's metaverse or version of it and she can start to experiment with some of these dreams that she's really always wanted to. So those were a couple really good examples. And then obviously the latter story is, is a really good feel-good option and, and as far as having a release for some of this technology. But then there's the other side of it where you have to look at you know sort of what Mark Zuckerberg has been clowned about. And that's in the past week, his own avatar selfie that he has sent out to the world. And it looks very old school. It looks very um, not of 2022 technology, I guess you could say. So we still got a ways to go as far as how you know avatars are presented and how real worlds are presented. But this comes from his Oculus VR experience called Horizon Worlds, which is kind of like a first iteration of his own quote-unquote metaverse. Let's take a look at the trailer. Welcome to a place of limitless possibilities. A place where you can invent things, transform things, create entire worlds, forge new experiences, and work with others. Jetpacks! Here, you can find your community, fellow creators, and virtually hang out in perfect harmony. Going up. 
vision, your artistry, your genius. Who built a cat boat? And together, we can build Horizon. Now, it all looks sort of futuristic and also a little outdated all at the same time. And honestly, I just don't know what to think about this kind of technology. I just know that based on this conversation that Zuck had, he puts VR and he actually says that sales for the Oculus and other VR platforms, other VR hardware is very comparable to PlayStation and to Xbox. Now, where the attention goes, dollars will follow but I'm just extremely cautious. Even though this interview is a little bit of a, a it makes him appear less of like a robot, but he's go- this type of person feels incredibly comfortable in a virtual reality world. I don't know what that means for the rest of us and if mass adoption happens, but it is a situation that wherever attention goes, their dollars will follow. And Zuckerberg has put a lot of time and energy into this. So time will tell on if this is going to be a success or not in the future. But that about does it for today's show. We'll catch you right back here next week, Thursday, 2 p.m. Thank you for watching. 